Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine, the Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are just a little bit embarrassed about having a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. We are broadcasting from the podcast bunker in an undisclosed location. From the podcast bunker past. Yeah. As we, as we attempt to build a runway into a future of shows that we can't possibly predict. It seems more and more uncertain. I don't know. Every, pod, every podcast is probably doing this episode, right? Like, the, people are going to be sick to death. Let's talk about what we're doing yeah. episode. <laughs> yeah, we should save it for the live stream. <laughs> Self-importance is a quality that I lack completely and reject. Mm. Like, full stop. Wow. You must be so proud of yourself for that. <laughs> <laughs> you got me. <laughs> but you can't ignore how often we're hearing things like any attempt to hold on to a normal life right now has a greater value than it's ever had before. And so we're hearing from a lot of friends of DeSoto about just how important this work <laughs> is. <laughs> and I'm not making light of, of its significance in anyone else's life, but wow, it sure feels that way. I feel strange about how many people I know whose lives have really downshifted and how much this feels like the work for us is business as usual. Like right. the, the full right. week of prepping, editing, recording, posting, all of that, like nothing has really changed about what, what we do. I'm hoping that that's a, a nice continuity for the, the listeners because... It, uh, it does feel a little bit like the alienation that we elected to take on for ourselves in being weirdos who work from home. It had a, a really different feeling before than it does now. It's like we invented penicillin by just letting our lives rot in the fridge. <laughs> <laughs> but we're like penicillin hipsters. Like, oh, yeah, I was into pen penicillin before, before it was like really big, you know? <laughs> seems like a lot of these cases are totally asymptomatic. Yeah. My wife's positive that she's going to get it. Yeah. Your wife feels the same. You yeah. feel the same. I feel the same. Yeah. There's no denial about that. Yeah. I mean, the best thing I've seen in the press about how to, like, how to behave is to behave like you already have it and do everything you can not to give it to other people. Right. It's not so much about preventing yourself from getting it as preventing others from getting it and i'm doing my best but i was in line at the uh at the grocery store wearing my uh, i i got these like white cotton gloves <laughs> and the primary function of these gloves is to like when when i like reach my hand up to dig in my eye for eye boogers i'm like oh there's cloth on my finger and i'm not supposed to be touching my face right now and it's just like it's just a little like mental speed bump to be like, oh yeah, sure, no, no touching face right now. Yeah, and then when I get home, I take them off and I wash my hands. Uh huh. Uh, but the uh, <laughs> the lady at the at the grocery store was like doing bits on me because <laughs> that's what you deserve. Yeah, because it does look a little silly. It looks like I'm a mime. <laughs> 
It looks like you're there uh, to check for dust. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm uh, I'm Admiral Kirk inspecting <laughs> the Enterprise before uh, a little uh, educational outing with the cadets. You're the not-so-secret shopper, Ben. <laughs> I can see you coming a mile away. Yeah. I had a friend uh, go to a uh, go to a memorial service on Zoom conference. Oh, no. Yeah. We need whoever that is to mute their microphone. Can you imagine next season's Curb Your Enthusiasm? That's what I've been saying. It's going to be <laughs> one of the greatest seasons of all time. <laughs> Oh, no. Yeah. Well, enough about this bummer-ass topic. Why don't we yeah. get into this uh, very light and silly episode of Deep Space Let's Nine? Let's pivot to distraction. Yeah. That's going to be great. As we talk about Deep Space Nine Season 6, Episode 7, you are cordially invited. Do you realize how incredible this is? <laughs> no. Of course you don't. Dump out the tapestries, Ben. <laughs> Dump them out. <laughs> because the fleet has returned. Yeah, the station is uh, is back in Federation hands. It's going to be where the Ninth Fleet is stationed, which mm-hmm. I like. Deep Space Ninth, Ninth Fleet makes sense. I follow. Yeah. <laughs> Do you keep, think- that, keep that Seventh Fleet over there at Deep Space Seven. One of the key pieces of Cisco's log is how jovial he is about the total and complete absence of belt buckles on the station. <laughs> they all got left behind on Starbase 200 and something. <laughs> yeah, still at war, but uh, yeah. the celebratory mood has not abated for a week now, which is pretty cool. Everybody's fucking. <laughs> so much fucking. It's not just banners getting dumped out. It's dongs. It's boobs. It's everything. I read that there was a cutscene to this episode for the move-in. Like, everyone goes to their quarters and sees who's been living there. Really? Yeah. And and one of the <laughs> one of the funniest bits of writing, I thought, was that uh, you get the person who moves back in and Wayun had stayed there, stayed there and then right. someone moves into where Ducat had lived, and they're all, like, a growing level of, yeah. of gross and bombed out. Change leaders, smells like cat pee. <laughs> and Nog moves into his quarters and realizes it's Jake that's been living there, <laughs> and it's the worst one by far. <laughs> that, that scene should have stayed. That's really funny. That's too bad bed yeah we get the scene where cisco greets major kira up in ops she's very glad to have him back glad to not be greeting gul dukat every time uh, her boss comes in in the morning it made me wonder what the status is of the non-aggression pact between bajor and the dominion right because it seems like that was a pretty good way of keeping bajor from being destroyed but i doesn't this mean Bajor would return to being subject to Dominion attack? Uh, that's a little also, awkward. Also, anything stopping another fleet of Dominion ships from coming through the wormhole? Or is the wormhole just closed for business for a little while? I think they should continue to drive Deep Space Nine around. Like, I think it, <laughs> I think it should be on patrol along with the Ninth Fleet, going back and forth between the Hole and Bajor. Wow. It, it can do that. It, you want it to be like the Hood, just hauling its butt back and forth between star bases. <laughs> I really do. Why not? Couldn't the Ninth Fleet make a, a sort of, of chain? Oh, yeah. Between the two? Just, uh, just there's always a ship nearby. Yeah. 
Hmm. That would make sense. Yeah. This is uh, this is the Worf is getting married episode, and uh, we're going to have a lot of Martok in this. And the first yeah. scene with Martok is him uh, being promoted to the Supreme Command of the Ninth Fleet or something, which okay. I guess is a combined Federation Klingon fleet by implication. Oh, I didn't get the sense that, that he had any sort of oversight on the Federation side. I'm wondering, man, because... Supreme Commander suggests a supremacy of command. Right, yeah. It's like Eisenhower in World War II kind of a deal, <laughs> where he can yeah. boss the British around also. Right. But Martok's position is so squishy. It's it's like, is he just the captain of the Rotoran, or is he like the head of the entire Klingon military? Is he Gowron's best friend? Or is he just one of many similarly ranked guys? I like that Martok's like, they offered me the beast. But I turned it down because I prefer the Rotorat. <laughs> you should have seen the quarters they offered me and what the Jem'Hadar had done to it. <laughs> you People d- think they don't poop, but they do. Let me just say that the white looks very suspicious under a black light <laughs> when doing a quarters inspection. You've seen what a trap house looks like. <laughs> Those guys were totally strung out. They weren't looking after the hygiene. I love how Martak is like lamenting the administrative work that comes with his promotion. Yeah. And Cisco is relishing this <laughs> as a finally, you know what it's like to have an inbox with 2,000 email messages in it. Yeah. The, <laughs> the, the paperwork does not go well. Yeah. Rotoran. Yeah. But in this conversation, they sort of hash out like where the personnel are going because this gives the fleet an opportunity to regroup. Right. So Martok's like, "Well, I'm thinking I'm going to keep Worf aboard. He's been pretty great, and uh, like I guess that means Alexander's part of that deal." And then sort of tosses out some extremely faint praise about Alexander and what it's like to have him. Yeah, he's not the best soldier I've ever seen. As far as soldiering goes, he's essentially worthless, but he is Worf's son. He makes a fine human shield. I mean, Klingon shield. Hard to tell with that guy. <laughs> TBQH. They, like, as they're making fun of him, they, they directly cut to him being really lame. Like, self-deprecation... It's it's got this weird kind of reverse uncanny valley where if the person actually totally sucks, yeah, it stops being cute. Exactly. So when he is telling a story about something he fucked up on the ship, it's like, yeah, like you are a danger to yourself and others. He has no chill and he has no self-awareness. Yeah. And his story isn't funny <laughs> for so many reasons. Like he floods an entire deck with a dangerous chemical. Yeah. That's not a funny story. Yeah. I wouldn't Tell even... me about the time that the replicator wouldn't stop shooting out gah. <laughs> That's fun. I wouldn't trust him to go back to the bar and refill my blood wine. No, I wouldn't either. Why not? Quark is uh, is also here in Quark's bar and interested in pitching Worf and Dax on a an urgent wedding at Quark's bar. I guess uh, he just needs to fill in some of the economic gaps that the rapid political shifts 
of the station have, have maybe left him. He's as aware as anyone of the wedding industrial complex and all the many benefits that that can yeah. provide for a business person. He can charge like four times what he would charge for a, a normal gathering of that right. size. Worf is like, fuck that. We are not getting married in a dive bar. <laughs> Forget it. The ceremony will take place on the Klingon home world after the war. I feel like there are definitely two or three seasons of Cheers where people discuss either having their wedding reception or their actual wedding at Cheers. And it's like, boy, like we talk about Star Trek straining credulity occasionally, but the idea that these people all spend like four or five hours a day at this bar and then are also interested in using it as their wedding venue. <laughs> So an interesting bit of business happens here when Alexander gets up and Quark hot seats his bar stool. <laughs> it's that we come to find out that Alexander is being transferred. And so in order to get a jump on that, in order to be able to have a wedding where the maximum amount of family and friends could attend, yeah, it starts to make more and more sense that they would have the wedding on DS9. Sooner rather than later. I think that Worf is doing the math like this... This kid is not surviving this war, so if we want him there, we're going to have to do it now. They're also extremely close, having not talked to each other for many, many years. Uh, certainly closer than the entire crew of the Enterprise, who I guess don't receive invitations to this. Wow. Yeah. The, That's pretty cold. The, uh, <laughs> the wedding scene at the beginning of Nemesis feels so much more wedding-y than the wedding scene in this in this episode. And why is that? It's because our all of our friends and family are there. Yeah, it's because the people that actually love Worf. They don't even try to remove the idea with dialogue. It's just ignored in an effort to hope you forget. I wonder if that's a budgetary constraint. Like, oh, if we like get a cameo from the entire cast of that very successful and beloved TV show, it's going to cost a zillion dollars. Or is it one of the things they talk about in uh, the documentary, What We Left Behind, is how Deep Space Nine always felt like the middle child of Star Trek. And maybe there were like sensitivities among the actors, like not wanting to share screen space with cast members of a more successful and more beloved show. I don't know. There was an attempt to get the TNG crew involved in a totally dialogue-free cameo Whoa. kind of way but what happened was only LeVar Burton and Jonathan Frakes had offices on the Paramount lot so they were game yeah. but everyone else they would have had to fly in from all over Yeah. and the costs associated with bringing everyone in and getting them uniformed and like and... yeah like like it just wasn't going to happen it couldn't pencil out not this time bullshit I feel like you maybe like asked the network for a little extra money for something like that because I don't know I guess maybe it's hard to it's hard to know, right? Because this is this is meant to be sort of a light palate cleanser episode after a huge bracing story arc. But it's also supposed to be an event, yeah, right? right. And and it really helps the event like special nature of the thing to to invite people that you didn't expect to be there. Yeah, that should be there. Yeah. I wish we'd gotten that episode. I'm sure there are lots and lots of really good reasons why we didn't. But I wish I got to know that episode of Deep Space Nine. <laughs> Worf invites Alexander to be his Taiwan on, <laughs> which is uh, sort of a, a bestman. Yeah. 
invitation. And uh, then Alexander immediately turns into the Gerald Ford impression from Saturday Night Live. <laughs> and and goes full physical with his comedy. Yeah. Golden Cotton. The Cotton. Golden Cotton. So. We get a little conversation with uh, Kira and Dax about what, you know, why why is Dax converting to Klingon for this wedding? You know, why not meet in the middle right. or whatever? And um, kind of becomes clear that Worf is a bit of a groomzilla. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Dax is able to kind of rationalize this away. Like, I've had a lot of, you know, trill trill wedding ceremonies i've had i've had him as a man i've had him as, as a woman been there done that bought yeah. the t-shirt but this is something that i've Worf... been both at the same time like yeah. you've you've taken this the ankylosaur out of me and put me into the other person <laughs> on the wedding day yeah. we got married as we died and also <laughs> passed off our ankylosaur <laughs> wow have you ever been married in stirrups yeah <laughs> Um, but, uh, but yeah, so she is basically doing the entirely Klingon version. So the B storyline is going to be sort of Dax as Charlotte in Sex and the City trying to convert to Judaism, while, uh, the C storyline is going to be Kira sees Odo several times and Odo slinks away. Which one is more interesting to you? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I feel like it's a bit of a misfire with Dax that she wouldn't be just perfect at this, given how much she's been perfect at kind of assimilating into other Klingon things over the course of the series. I was shocked at how time was jumped through in this episode in a couple of places. Yeah. this I would never have guessed that the Klingon wedding episode would have been the 10 pounds of episode in a five pound bag situation, <laughs> it but it really is. ends up being that way. Yeah. And it also made me wish that there was some more discussion of comparing it to the initiation she underwent to become a host. Yeah. Because yeah. it really felt like there were some parallels to be drawn there that yeah. didn't really get explored. So in the wardroom, uh, Worf has brought together his Bachelor Party McLaughlin group. <laughs> if you want. <laughs> where he describes the Cal Haya, the four-night bachelor party that he wants O'Brien, Bashir, Cisco, and Martok to attend, along with Alexander. I've never been to a bachelor party that I would characterize as being a path of clarity. <laughs> But that's apparently how the Klingons roll. I've I've been to some that you could call depraved. <laughs> and deprivation yes. is first base. <laughs> uh, people seem to be excited about this in a way that if they knew anything about Klingon culture, they should instead be apprehensive or yeah. scared. Yeah. It's a it's it's a misdirect that the audience is coming a mile away and wonders why a room with Captain Sisko, Miles O'Brien, and super genius Julian Bashir are shocked by. This is the one scene where you really feel the absence of the Enterprise crew because you look around this table and you're like, "These are your best friends." Yeah, especially Bashir. Right. I, don't, I don't understand the Bashir thing at all. Like, I guess uh, you lobotomized my brother. <laughs> Therefore, <laughs> you are one of my closest friends. 
Bashir says to Worf on his way out, like, we're going to drink till we can't see straight. We're going to be brain dead at the end of this. And Worf says, if you were any other man, I would kill you where you stand. Worf, Worf is like, blood wine? Bashir's like, no, I brought my own beverage. <laughs> <laughs> why why is your keg warm? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we've got our keg in a in a in a in a giant rubber made full of ice and you've got yours in a giant rubber made that you keep pouring boiling water into. Bashir's pumping and it's just foam. It's it's just foam into the keg cup. <laughs> that was the pale ale, Julian. <laughs> so we're we're told in that shown initially what Dax is going to go through because this there's a conversation that Martok and Cisco have wherein they're going to go greet Martok's arriving wife. Yeah. And and Martok's wife is there to take Dax through her version of of what these four days will be. Sorella, daughter of Linkasa, has real she who is my wife vibes but she also has real Sarek vibes where yeah. she's like the highest status person in any room she walks into yeah but she's dressed like she who is my wife she's an angry Loxana Troy right <laughs> she is yeah but she is not gonna put up with an, an dress full of Odo no not at all and she positively big dogs Martok yeah. when she arrives in an old school big dogging kind of way it's a it's a lot of fun. Yeah. I love his reaction. I love how sprung he is for her. Oh, yeah. He loves that shit. They do the... They're, they're doing one of those marriages where they have separate domiciles mm-hmm. and just fuck like bunny rabbits when they see each other, but they don't see each other that much. You know, Cisco, you should really get your own ball-kicking machine <laughs> for recreational use. I find that it really sharpens the mind. <laughs> Even as it dulls the penis. But you meet Sorella, and all of a sudden you're concerned with Dax. You may be more concerned with what's going to happen to Dax than you are with this uh, this bachelor party of of part-time Klingons, right? Indeed. I'll, I was also a little concerned for Cisco because when she walks away, Martak sort of asks Cisco to weigh in on how hot he thinks his wife is. Magnificent, isn't she? That's not cool. (laughs) I don't want any of my friends to tell me their opinions on my wife's looks. No. No matter how often you ask, I'll never tell you, Ben. (laughs) I appreciate that about you. I mean, I'm going to keep asking you to test you. Right. (laughs) Later on, uh, Dax lights candles in her quarters. Uh, You get the sense that Dax knows what's coming. She's not unprepared for the ceremony or the sequence of events, but I think she is unprepared for who is there to administer them. Yeah, I mean, like meeting the mother-in-law, the the, mm-hmm. the future mother-in-law is always an intense moment. Mm-hmm. You want it to go right. You want to make a good first impression. Uh, but there are some kind of mitigating circumstances here. There being a war on, it wasn't possible for Dax to get the exact perfect kind of candle. So she got cheap replicator knockoffs. And Worf is really worried about this. You clearly got those candles at the Yankee Candle Store on the promenade. (laughs) The scents remind me of designer imposter. (laughs) This Uh, is a great moment for Sorella because I feel like the big dog hat trick 
is in range for her here. She big dogs Worf into getting the fuck out. Yeah. Leave. I want to say, like, when I heard we were going to meet Martok's wife, I was like, we are going to see maybe the most elaborate boob window <laughs> in the history of Star Trek. Yeah. And uh, she is a boob windowless Klingon. I don't like it. I don't either. I'm it's, just going to say that. it's uh, it's It seems wrong and bad. <laughs> <laughs> now more than ever, we need the boob window. <laughs> I mean, her costuming flies in the face of everything we've come to know about Klingon women up until now. Yeah, she's throwing it all away, Adam. You know what? I'm looking at the at the bottom of, of a Memory Alpha page, and I'm seeing a picture of Sorella, and the caption is, Klingon women hate her <laughs> for this one secret. <laughs> so I think I could guess what the secret is. Oh, I think you're looking at the tabula uh, right. options at the bottom of that page there. Uh, <laughs> Um, it saved you a click. Right. <laughs> yeah, Worf's like, uh, this is not traditional enough shit is peak Worf. And then yeah. getting his balls busted by Sorella, like, kicks it up even another notch. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. She's a real Remain Klingon type. Sorella does that thing where she walks in, drops her bomb, and then leaves. The bomb being, shit's gonna go down in the morning, prepare yourselves, and also get rid of all these bullshit candles. Yeah, like, Worf talks to Martok about this. Martok is like, yeah, good luck with this. Like, we'll see if this wedding happens. Sorella is a uh, is full disco-era Kalesh follower. It's a sensibility about Klingons and their culture that feels very home in the Star Trek Discovery universe. Yeah. The, the xenophobia and all that? Yeah, we can't have aliens come into our house, and if we do, they're going to be like third-class alien citizens. The alien trash of the galaxy. Not considered equals. Like, Dax is being held to a a much higher standard than she would be if she was a Klingon woman. I, I, I got the feeling. Do you think it's a little fuck that Martok had to know how this was going to go down? And none of this should be a surprise to Martok, and yet he does not soften the blow of his wife arriving yeah. in any way for either of them. He's not preparing Worf for the worst. You know, Worf Zia will not be an easy sell for any of us. <laughs> we, Worf, Worf even asks, like, hey, should maybe I go talk to your wife? Which also another just... Amazing question being asked in this episode. That depends. Do you find her attractive? <laughs> Martuk, why are you asking everyone that? Why do you keep wanting to know if people think your wife is, quote, bonable, unquote? <laughs> we cut to uh, to the Kalhaya cave ceremony, which is uh, simulated in the hollow suite. And uh, it's very hot in there. It's kind of a uh, kind of a sweat house environment. Mm -hmm. The smokiness in this scene, I think, kind of confounded the video compression because there's a wide shot with Bashir, O'Brien, Alexander, and Cisco standing there. And I, I don't know if you had this experience, but on my TV, I it, I could not see any of the characters that well. I could just you know by shapes figure out who Cisco, Alexander, and O'Brien were, but I swore that I was looking at Jake as the fourth. For some reason, Jake? For some reason. And I was like, wow, if for some reason Jake is involved in this <laughs> after he wasn't involved in the previous scene about this, 
that is gonna be some wild shit. But then he like walked a little closer to the camera, and I was like, oh right, it's Bashir. Right, I right, thought right. for sure you were gonna say you couldn't tell the difference between the smoke in your room <laughs> and what you were seeing on screen. I was chiefing a giant blunt right. at the time. Step one at any Cal Hayah. You gotta distribute the American gladiator style joust sticks, right? Yeah, you gotta you gotta get ready to to joust, and this is uh, it's sort of like the flower baby of the Klingon wedding ceremony. Oh, also, right, you gotta hold on to your stick. Gotta hold on to your stick till until the bond is made at the wedding, and then you go attack the groom and the bride with it. In a lot of ways, the uh, the bachelor party isn't over until the marriage is, is, is in place. It's really the uh, joustics of Damocles for the rest of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, speaking of things you don't want, uh, they also find out that this is a four-day fast. Oh, no. And there's a, a huge spread. There's a, a big buffet laid out, and uh, this is maybe the only nod to Kern or beloved lost brother in the episode one of the items on the buffet is turkey legs which alexander immediately goes and picks up so there must be something genetic at play here like the sons of moog love a turkey leg i'm so fucking sad right now about kern not being able to attend his brother's wedding like i'm (laughs) i'm legit upset about it they should have just like come up with some pretext and had whatever his new identity is just had him there like I was working as a baggage inspector <laughs> at Kronos International Airport. Why have I been brought to this space station to attend a stranger's Kalhaya? Dead bird meat with caviar on it. Do I like this? I do not know. I'm having what the French call déjà vu eating this. I could have sworn I've experienced this flavor combination before. We've seen uncomfortable moments in Star Trek before, <laughs> but try to imagine <laughs> Kern walking through the door of the Hollow Suites and cutting to Bashir's face. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that would be the first cringe death ever depicted on <laughs> no you know what the uh, the helmsman that died when the gilum killed uh. him in the seat that's the first cringe death yeah bashir's death in this moment would be second place i i have a slightly different theory i think kern would show up you would see bashir's face blanch and then you would see his uniform start to get wet below the waist and then you would see him like quickly find a vessel to capture <laughs> The fear piss he was taking. Nothing tastes quite like fear piss. And you, let me have a sip of your blood wine. (laughs) Your wine has gone bad. (laughs) So six trials of Kalhaya, Ben. Deprivation, blood, pain, sacrifice, anguish. (laughs) And Amazing Sexual Donkey. (laughs) Well, Mr. Uh, Thompson, that's really quite a list. And you're right. All of those (laughs) crucial to any four-day event. I guess so.
Exactly. So we cut to Quark's, and for some reason, Jake walks in Mm -hmm. and tells Quark the Federation News Service is going to distribute the book that he wrote during the occupation. Yeah, all those dispatches that he was not able to get out while the Dominion was there have been picked up by uh, FNN, right? Was that that what it was called in Star Trek Picard? Yeah. FNN. Uh, Because they don't have cables in the future. He's there ostensibly to look for his dad, which is never a place we find Ben Sisko. Yeah, Ben Sisko's not a a bar fly, traditionally. I'm racking my brain thinking about when there's ever been a scene of him and Quark's drinking alone. Yeah. When you live on a space station where your dad wears a comm badge and can be located by the computer at any time, walking around asking people where your dad is has got to be the answering your phone, hello, of the future. (laughs) So Jake's just a little old-fashioned. Yeah, in a lot of ways. Quark is mildly impressed slash interested in what Jake has to say, but uh, he's basically there to tell him that he should check the hollow suites because that's where his dad is. He's doing Klingon bachelor party. And uh, and in those suites, Alexander is having uh, an experience that I found very familiar, the almost passing out because it's too hot. Right. He chooses to power through and not not take the coward's way out of turning the thermostat down a little bit. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of Klingon chauvinism at play here, right? Like Martok keeps saying things like, "Perhaps you will not succeed at the at the challenges the way we do because we are Klingons," and and it's it, it's always Alexander having the most trouble. My favorite thing about being married to Sorella is being her little spoon. <laughs> she suffocates me with her warmth. <laughs> Very difficult to sleep with Sorella. <laughs> But I like a challenge. I love when they break into folk songs and Martok takes the high harmonies. <laughs> that was really good. I love it so much. Yeah. Just by saying I love you. It's always a delight when you get together with a group and sing songs and you realize, oh shit, someone's a very good singer. Yeah. I'm suddenly very self-conscious about my bad singing. (laughs) Please do not pimp me into a killer song. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, just just knowing how to harmonize I always admire in in somebody. But also like knowing your own register. Yeah. Like it took me till I was like 34 or something before somebody was like, yeah, Ben, you have a low voice. Sing, Sing a little bit lower than than you think you should sing. Yeah. And I was like, oh yeah, I can actually hit notes when I'm when I sing happy birthday like happy birthday. <laughs> like if I start there, I'm gonna be fine. That's where you start. But it's like I, I thought I had to start where everybody else started. I sung the high harmony to happy birthday at a birthday party that you and I both attended yeah. a while back. I was I was going for the low notes. Felt good. I yeah. think we both we both did our jobs. We did our jobs. Yeah. I was the bass, you were the alto. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> we we took off our straw hats and did the little uh, yeah. tambourine shake with them at the end. Yeah. I uh, <laughs> I broke into a little beatboxing at one point. Uh-huh. Um, it was really fun. It it was appreciated by no one but us. <laughs> <laughs> Much like our dueling birthday toasts. <laughs> Oh man, I I did feel a little bit. We we were at this group birthday party 
right before the like portcullis closed on all socialization. Right. And the uh, at at the dinner, uh, the the toasts kept going around, and you and I just turned. <laughs> our toasts into a relentless like dead air style bit where <laughs> we we tried to lull each other into a false sense of security right. that one of us was just going to be doing a, an earnest toast. <laughs> that was the best part is we started sincere every time and then <laughs> and then turned the toast wheel hard into the ditch. <laughs> I could tell that our wives were falling rapidly out of love with us and oh, yeah. our friend was uh, getting ready to stop tolerating our presence at his party. <laughs> That's why we're invited to so few things. All I do is bits, bits, bits. No matter what, you're always doing bits, bits, bits. No matter what, you're always doing bits, bits, bits. I was doing bits. Bad bit moment. Bad bit moment. It was a fun challenge, and people, some somebody that likes a challenge on this show is Jedzia Dex. Yeah. She's uh, she's gone sleeveless. Yeah, she's getting a lot of shit for her sloppy brazier placement from Sorella. What mean that word? Because <laughs> she's because she's holding the braziers and she has to place them. Oh, I was thinking you were talking about her bra, and that's <laughs> and you were and you had pronounced brazier brazier. Uh, I did not. I, I was, was pronouncing brazier brazier. I was very confused. <laughs> The phrase sloppy brazier placement is in the episode and, and really jumped out at me. The placement of the braziers on their pedestals is sloppy. Right. <laughs> Both of us are just standing over this joke, just beating it. <laughs> Any, I mean, we see, we've seen this in scenes on the show before. Anytime you are asked to hold things out from your body for any length of time, you know that that is being asked many many times and no matter how heavy or light the object you're meant to hold it is extremely difficult yeah and whether or not this is acting on the part of uh terry farrell's she looks like she's in great pain doing this and and i and i believe she is yeah there, there's no way to make that those two things less than like two or three pounds even if you yeah make them out of very thin plastic right but uh even that would be a big challenge if you're if you're doing 20 takes in one day. Sorella does that thing with Dax that Mike Myers does to the Chris Farley character in Wayne's World 2. End this now, Jadzia. Go back to your own people. I got no place else to go! Just like sort of goads her into quitting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is uh, what she's built for, what Sorella right here. Right. I think this comes in the uh, the history recitation portion of the challenge, which is Dax is supposed to tell Sorella the history of the women in her family. Like, I could see Sorella giving Dax the history and then, like, pop quiz, like, you know, my 23rd grandmother, what was her name and what was her relationship to the emperor? But it's 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 the opposite. It's it's Dax telling Sorella all this information and also like dropping some knowledge bombs. Like Dax has fact checked some of the family history and found some some holes in it. Sorella didn't know that she was on Finding Your Roots, <laughs> and Dax is playing the part of Henry Louis Gates Jr. <laughs> and it is not a fun, lighthearted episode. Yeah, you are not 100% Irish, and in fact, you're a quarter Jewish. No! <laughs> <laughs> 
It appears your great 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 grandparents sired many slaves. <laughs> this is a great moment because uh, this is this is when Dax big dog Sorella. Yeah, Sorella's pedigree is a sham. Yeah. And like you would think that this would maybe put them on a little bit more even footing, but it does not. <laughs> the mother-in-law conflict does not go well. Back on the promenade, for some reason, Jake chats up Kira about a party Dax is having. And ugh, this was tough because Kira does that thing that can sometimes backfire because she invites someone to a party that isn't hers. Sure, you're welcome. And you can tell Nog the same goes for him, too. Great. <laughs> she invites, for some reason, Jake and Nog to this party. And then the second in a series of, of, of this type of scene happens. She sees Odo and, like, immediately whips around, turns away. They can't look at each other. Yeah. It's a, it's it's a rule of threes, so we know that they're going to talk the next time she sees Odo. But what's great about the physicality of this is that the turn away means a turn toward the Klingon bachelor party leaving and I guess taking a break. Like yeah. they're walking through the promenade on the other side. Yeah. It's a bit of a shame because I liked the idea of Kira having a moment of embarrassment and vulnerability in front of, for some reason, Jake. Yeah. Because that's just kind of a weird mixture of characters for a moment like that. Right. And it's infinite characters and infinite combinations. That's what we like about <laughs> Deep Space Nine. Yeah. But they kind of like wrote their way out of having to process that at all by having the Bachelor men walk through. I wish we had a little better grasp on what steps we're on in the six. Yeah. Like we see, we very clearly see the first two or maybe three, but then we totally lose the thread yeah, the, the mile markers the are, are missing. I expected the B story to more comport with the six steps than even the A story would. Right. Like by the time we get to sacrifice or anguish, you know what? Maybe those can be things that are similar to what Dax is going through. Yeah. yeah. And I think she does a little bit, but you don't draw straight lines between them. While the pain is being experienced by the dudes in the cave... Sheer pleasure is being experienced by the people at Dax's fun, fun party. Yeah. Lieutenant Atoa from one of the Federation starships is there doing a uh, Pacific Island fire dance routine, which is uh, really setting this crowd on fire. Like, people are going <laughs> fucking ape watching this. And it's exhilarating to watch people watch him. Yeah. He's fucking great. And the performance was really cool and fun. But the uh, the way the way they're reacting is like, oh my god, I can't fucking believe it. Which is like, yeah. so we talk about all the time, like all of the like crazy sci-fi scenarios that people walk into, that, where they should respond like it's street magic. Yeah. yeah, and and it's fun to actually see that on Star yeah. Trek. You get a Dax react here. Yeah, and it's like it's something that you can see if you go on vacation in Hawaii. Yeah, and uh, it's fun to see aliens reacting like that to something that we have access to here on Earth in the, the present day. The only downside to seeing Lieutenant Atoa shirtless in this scene is that you don't get to see what he looks like wearing a service uniform, Yeah, which has got to be positively like Cal Hudson-esque. How low is his comm badge, you oh, think? Oh, man. Otoa is wearing it like, like below his waist. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, missed opportunity there. I would have liked to have known that, Lieutenant Otoa. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> ben, he's from the Sutherland. You remember the Sutherland, right? 
remind me. That was the Del Sol class starship that uh, that Data was the captain of briefly. No kidding. Remember when he had the, his exo Christopher Hobson talking yeah. all that shit to him? Yeah. You don't give a damn about the people whose lives you're throwing away. Talking back, being a real bad exo, and they, they had to do that, that blockade of ta- the uh, tachyon grid to yeah. stop the ROMs. That's the same ship. No kidding. And they also real casually threw out the name Captain Shelby. Wow. As if that that might have been her stop. No kidding. You got to give the Sutherland to Shelby, right? Yeah. I bet uh, I bet Shelby's doing great during this Dominion War. I think she's better than Adele's whole class, though. Got to start somewhere, right? She has no chill for a hood, though. Like, you don't Picard you cannot is put better... her on, on a foosball-class starship. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Picard is better than a Stargazer-class starship, but he had to start there. Yeah, it's true. Everyone is so vibing with the fire dancer, like... Their expressions are are of total joy and amazement, Mm -hmm. except the very expressionless mask of Morn, who is the only one who knows what it's like to swing a stick around that long. (laughs) Morn even has some experience with a stick that is on fire. Right. (laughs) (laughs) He grabs a Toa's fire stick and he's like, that's all you're working with? (laughs) On guard. While all this is going on... uh, some other uh, people are experiencing fire in a different way. That's mm. Bashir and O'Brien who are uh, handcuffed to a, a pole that is they are dangling from over another brazier. <laughs> and that's not a bra, Adam. Okay, thanks. That's a, that's a bowl with fire in it. They're just hanging in there, Ben. Yeah, <laughs> just hanging in there, babies. Hey, you know what? There's a great merch idea that Star Trek will never make, much like your great idea for a car sunshade yeah. that depicts the, the shuttlecraft with Data and Geordi inside. That should be made. That should but be made. wouldn't you like to see an office with a hang in there poster? With, and with it's, O'Brien and Bashir? Yeah. <laughs> Why won't the Star Trek industrial complex listen to our ideas? They'd have to listen to the show. Yeah. Well, that's just a brief moment, and we cut back to the party where the... 5-0 have shown up on a noise complaint. I've been getting complaints about the noise. Kira calls some rank to keep the party going. And uh, this is uh, when she and Odo sort of notice that they have accidentally come into contact with each other. It's unavoidable. It's unavoidable now. So uh, Kira takes a let's rip the band-aid off approach to this. Yeah. Which is never my move. You know, if I'm at a party and I'm really having a great time, yeah. the the bummer conversation that I know is inevitable is not the first thing I want to do. You want that Band-Aid, if you're Ben Harrison, to just come off in the night while you're sleeping. Yeah, or maybe or, in the shower. Yeah. You don't feel it that way. In a public pool. Yeah. It just sloughs <laughs> off and you don't even notice it. Hot tub at an Airbnb. <laughs> All the great places for a Band-Aid to come off. Certainly not by your own volition. So they go shut themselves into their storage closet. Got to say, I really love off-duty Kira here. Just wanted to mention that. Yeah, it's a good look. Like it a lot. Dax and uh, Lieutenant Atoa are kind of canoodling on a love seat in the middle of this party when Sorella walks in and... Aren't you going to put down some, like, newspapers or something when Atoa sits on your couch? <laughs> I mean... You think he's got, like, spray tan on or something? No, I think he's covered in sweat. Mm. You just throw that couch out the airlock and replicate a new one. That's right. You're always going to have a fresh couch on DS9. Yeah, that's one of the that's one of the brand promises of the Deep Space Nine <laughs> hospitality <laughs> business. <laughs> 
this turns into an entire party of drop of dropped jaws uh, as uh, Sorella retracts the uh, the offer uh, to marry a member of her family, and then they get in a knife on fist fight. You can't bring a fist to a knife fight. <laughs> I'll never forget the knife fight that my wife got into with my mom a couple of days before our wedding. It feels like we skipped something here, though, right? Like, this is one of those moments where the last time we saw Dax, she was having that conversation with Sorella, which disputed her family line. And then we cut to the party, but I feel like something's missing in between. Like, is she done with the test? Yeah. Is the party part of the test? It doesn't seem like the party's part of the test, especially because Sorella's not invited. Right. And... It does seem like Sorella suspects Dax of being unfaithful with right. Lieutenant Otoa. Which doesn't look totally wrong. I mean... No, it seems like Dax is definitely like... It looks like the basement is a little flooded. Yeah. She's definitely like talking to him like he's just a piece of ass that she wants to keep around for a little while. Right. And then the next morning... If like His pips could be for her pleasure. Yeah. And then the next morning, it's Otoa and Morn leaving her apartment, which... Yeah. Begs the question, Adam, did Dax have a three-way with Lieutenant Atoa and Morn? All right. I'm really, really racking my brain about this. And also, like, they're leaving when Worf comes in, and Worf does one of those, like, not again kind of shrugs. Right? So, like, do they have the kind of open relationship where Dax can explore this aspect of her sexuality openly I am going to say yes yes she did wow she most definitely did so Worf is not that traditional after all no she's got a raging hangover she's got a real bastard behind the eyes and doesn't want to talk to Worf about the fact that she's been forbidden to join the house of Martok I'm sad that Dax doesn't go for a hypo spray <laughs> and then her hangover is gone. Yeah, hangovers are still a thing in the 24th century. Give me a break. Yeah, I d- I'm uh, I'm rereading an Ian M. Banks novel right now uh, called Accession, and there's a character in it that wakes up with a hangover, and he has like enough machinery and like stuff in his head that he can theoretically turn it off, but he's so hungover that he's like, ah, I don't even want to bother like messing with. With it. Wow. <laughs> so maybe it's that kind of situation. Oh, no. Yeah. Uh, this is, I think this is a kind of acting a lot like act drunk, where I don't think you really realize how much it takes to act hungover until you have to do it. Yeah. And and she does a great job here. Yeah. I bought it. Morn. 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 Sweet. Morn. 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 You hear, buddy? Morn. Perhaps the most interesting thing that happens in this episode happens entirely off camera because they realize that there are voices and they open the door to Dax's storage locker or something. Bathroom? Bathroom, maybe. I don't know. Um, There's like Rubbermaid tubs in there that Odo and Kira are sitting on, Mm. but they have had one of those just amazing nights where... You leave the party with somebody and you just talk all night. God, those are the best. They're the best. I mean, they ain't got shit on the ones where you leave and fuck all night. But right. <laughs> <laughs> Don't have shit on that. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, it sort of seems like Kira and Oda are like togethies. Uh, 
just an almost unforgivable writing maneuver here by a show that loves to lean into how it resolves conflicts to do this off camera. I can't even be mad at it. I'm just shocked that they don't take the opportunity because it's a show and a group of writers that just fucking relishes this so much. Right. Why remove the opportunity to do that? I don't get it. Yeah. The the scene ends with Worf saying like, you've got to go like hands and knees and beg for one more chance from Sorella. That's the only way. I have smelled Morn's dick. (laughs) You have acted with great dishonor. It took me 40 minutes to smell the length of Morn's dick. (laughs) Dax has too much pride. I don't beg. Wedding off, and uh, it feels easy. Feels easy to say this is over. Yeah, and then what we get here is a pretty classic DS9 montage of the both of them walking the promenade, <laughs> the single brass instrument of <laughs> of a dissolved wedding yeah. plays. Uh, they are like, like food doesn't look like it tastes good. Yeah, they they like Dax looks at a bouquet of flowers like is sort of isn't even interested. <laughs> Like there's a there's a there are kids playing like yeah. that doesn't give her joy. Worf is looking in the window at a, at the Batleth store and doesn't care about the Batleths. What's the point? Doesn't want one. Yeah. In Quark's bar, O'Brien and Bashir are still in their gear for the bachelor party, and they watch as Quark uh, starts to disassemble the decorations, and they find out that the wedding is off, and so the first thing they do is put in an order for. Some food. Double Altair sandwich? No mustard. Two bowls of linguine, Bajoran shrimp with extra cheese. Two big pizzas, man. Everything on them with water, whole lot of water, and onions. Time to break that fast. I like that their order isn't Star Trek food. It looks like yeah. It looks like stuff I'd want to eat right now. Bashir got stuff I'd want to eat. O'Brien did not. Because O'Brien got a sandwich? Yeah. Why would you break a fast with a sandwich? It looks like a great big meaty sandwich. It looks good. That steak looks so much better, though. I didn't understand the uh, the pasta with Alfredo sauce with non-melted cheese on top. Yeah. Also, of all the pastas, Alfredo? <laughs> I, I ordered a hamburger at a hotel in Ethiopia. Ben's gonna talk about Africa. It tasted nothing like a hamburger. It was twice the size of the biggest hamburger I've ever seen. And it was like somebody in that kitchen saw a photograph of a hamburger and made this based on what they imagine it might be. Mm. Like the bread was a weird kind of bread. It was maybe two pounds of beef in the patty. (laughs) Like Like I couldn't believe that they, like it had all of the, ingredients but somehow were put together in a way that it was like this tastes like nothing it doesn't it's like a simulacrum of a of a hamburger by somebody that doesn't know what a hamburger is this tastes like nothing to me yeah and it was like like i can understand that because this is like like their culture has like such a vastly different version of cuisine from mine why even then yeah i'm just saying like you could forgive a guy that eats two grubs and drinks beetlejuice for like not knowing that the cheese should be melted on the on the pasta. I understand now. <laughs> that was a long walk, but when we got to the end, 
I get it. Yeah. Epiphany. <laughs> Martok comes aboard the little D to uh, try and convince Worf to uh, to not fuck this up. He does the, the classic relationship advice thing of making it about himself, making it about how much he loves Sorella and how their wedding, their marriage, you know, doesn't work on paper, but we can't help the women we fall in love with. I never knew before this episode how much of a fucking bro martok is <laughs> he's a total bro yeah. both the backward in, baseball cat didn't tip you off both in this scene and the scene before but especially this scene i love how it's composed first of all this is one unbroken shot that starts on wharf it rack focuses a bit and then it and then it goes into a sequence we move back and we push into martok's face yeah it is a very very long push in that that gets real tight by the end. Like it's it goes from two shot to ECU. Lots of times when you get scenes like this, you get one character getting a monologue. But in this scene, both of them have a monologue in one uncut sequence. Yeah. Thought it was really well done. Yeah, it was good. Martok's you fucked up buddy speech. <laughs> but how hollow is the sound of victory? without someone to share it with. Does kind of rally Worf into becoming a fighter for this thing. Like, Worf enumerates all of the ways that they're terrible for each other, he and Dax. Yeah. But the conclusion ultimately, and this is a feeling that they both share, is that it's better to be miserable with someone than it is to be alone. Yeah. So we've come back after like 30 seconds of crickets there. Yeah. As you and I really think about that concept. Yeah. Well, we trimmed it out because the <laughs> listener's time is yeah. valuable to us. So uh, Martok comes into Quark's bar and takes the food away from O'Brien and Bashir just before they make a huge mistake. Because Food's back, not on the menu, boys. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't we not eat them? They're not made out of meat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh yeah the, the the wedding's back on and uh they're they're bummed but they're willing to stick it out for wharf and wharf comes in and then it's back to no like it's over it's i, I talked to dax and she's not in and then cisco has to go talk to her our main characters are like what the fuck come on <laughs> pick something this is a dangerous moment in the writer's room, I think. Yeah. Because what you're doing now is conflating the professional with the personal. Mm -hmm. You're sending Captain Sisko in to advise and counsel a subordinate on what she should or should not do, W slash R slash T, getting married. Yeah. To another one of your subordinates. Yeah. And the appeal that he makes to her feels pretty gross to me. If it means you have to bow down and kiss her boots, that's exactly what you have to do. Like the suck it up and deal? Yeah, he's he's basically on team go begging on all fours. It rang hollow to me coming from a character who has represented, you know, independent thinking. But at the same time, like the longer I think about it, like if anyone is going to be orthodox anything it's going to be the cisco right he's going to be the one that's most interested in preserving religious or cultural norms like these like is that where this is coming from because if you don't look at it that way 
I think it's it's a character departure that is a super bad look for him. Like he's telling her to eat her pride, and it feels like kind of two pieces of advice that are in conflict with each other because he's saying like grow up and act your age which is 300 something yeah (laughs) but also recognize that this lady is like your senior in this family and so you you have to like supplicate yourself to her yeah to win her back and they they it seems like two totally incompatible ideas to hold in your head at the same time right but i don't know yeah like i think that it's an interesting character moment for them because like they do have this like super old friendship that is founded on two different lifetimes for Dax. So, I guess I guess it rings true to me. It was surprising. And I but it yeah. but it didn't feel like this doesn't make any sense. I was waiting for that shoe to drop that goes like, "Look, Dax, all you have to do is pretend for Sorella right. and Martok." Yeah. You don't have to believe any of this shit. Like, manipulate her for for a minute, it'll be over, and then you'll be married, and then that's what it's all about. Like, prize on the eyeball. Like, get married. That's what it's about. That's, this is this is a temporary inconvenience with all this shit eating, but that's never... That's not what Captain Sisko's saying. He's saying, eat good the in, shit and mean it. Yeah. Like, we had a struggle early in my relationship, which is that I go to a lot of jewish religious ceremonies with my wife and her family and you know there's all kinds of situations where there's like a song being sung or a prayer being said that is not you know it's not native to me so i don't know them by heart and i also feel a little uncomfortable like an interloper and and part of it is that i'm not a religious person and part of it is that i feel slightly disrespectful doing like doing Doing religion doing the thing that is important to them yeah and we went to this secular Jewish organization and they had like a, a little like meeting group about like how to handle the holidays in mixed couples. And one of the things they said that was like a total liberating thought technology to me was like, yeah, like, I mean, you don't believe it. So saying it is actually like an act of respect to them because you're like participating in the thing that they would like to bring you in to participate with. Mm-hmm. And for you... Like, that can be the entire meaning of the words, because, like, if the words are about talking to a god you don't believe in, like, then you're not talking to anyone, and you can kind of infuse them with it, their oh, interesting. its own meaning. Yeah. And yeah, like, you're saying, like, like that's the advice you would give Dax, but that is not the advice Cisco gives Dax. Yeah. Like, we don't get the begging on the knees scene. Presumably it happens. That this is the second scene that I feel like is missing because you don't you never get the interaction between Dax and Sorella. We cut to the to the ceremony. Yeah, and if you were worried that we weren't going to get a boob window in this episode, worry no longer. <laughs> Such a relief. Yeah, Sorella's still in the she's she doesn't dress up or down. She has one mode, yeah. so she's in the same thing for the wedding that she was for everything else. Yeah, but Dax comes in in full Klingon wedding regalia, and. Uh, Boob window. Boob window. That's how the Klingons roll. Yep. Did Sorella have a boob window at her wedding? You gotta believe that. I saw Lita in the crowd looking at that boob window and being like, wow. <laughs> I kind of wish we'd gone with more of a Klingon thing for our <laughs> wedding. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I really liked the Klingon wedding ceremony. I did too. This is a very patiently 
constructed scene. Yeah. It really gives us all of the beats and the moments and the call and response. And This scene might be why other scenes aren't in the episode, because it's pretty long. Yeah. And I've heard of people having Klingon weddings, like, in real life before and wondered what that even means. And if it's this, like, if, if this is, like, the service that they're drawing from, like... Like it's not it's not for me, but I could kind of see it being really meaningful to the yeah. right kind of couple, you know. Yeah. Then let all present here today know that this man and this woman are married. You get someone who really values a boob window. <laughs> it's gonna be a beautiful ceremony. Yeah, and then you get your friends to run on stage with cute Q-tips and. <laughs> The end of this episode, Ben. Oh my God! It's like, like Butch Cassidy and Sundance running out into the. It really is. Hail of gunfire. Bashir and O'Brien are like, "Can we do it, Dad? Can we do it?" And Martuk's like, "Not now, damn it!" <laughs> Until it is time. Yeah. And then it's cut to black, uh, L edit style. Like, we, we hear the sockum bobbers happen over the credits. <laughs> it's so funny. What the fuck? <laughs> you really want to do this? Here. Now. Okay, okay. Let's do it. Do it. Did you like the episode? This episode is insane. <laughs> <laughs> this is the, the work of a mad person. This is, like, too neat of a comparison, but it's like, if you... People do Klingon opera. Like, you can go and watch that. Yeah. People perform Klingon things. Yes. You can go see Klingon improv or Klingon friends or whatever version of the thing that you like as performed by Klingons. Yeah. And the idea of this being the very special episode of a TV show is frequently the wedding of two main characters you get this all the time i I was ready for there to be a a reception scene where kira and odo announced that they've gotten engaged and like and then dax is pissed because she took the yeah the thunder from her big day it is just incredibly silly and i don't think the episode takes itself that seriously and so i don't take it that seriously yeah there are things to like for its silliness but the things that are tough have real consequences, like the Kira and Odo thing. Are we just going to get back to business next week, not knowing anything about how they made things right? You know what? Setting that aside, Odo is going about his business this episode being treated normally by everyone else except Kira. Why is that? Yeah. Do they do they not know? How does everyone who's wearing a Bajoran uniform working for Odo not look at him with a fucking perma-scowl <laughs> at being complicit in in what he was with yeah. over the last eight episodes? I really hope there's more about that. I kind of doubt it. Yeah. And I wonder if an episode like this is the moment that they had that they didn't take the opportunity with. So... Um, yeah, like I like the episode for what it was and I don't like it for what it wasn't, if that is a way to put it. Yeah. At the end of the last episode, I was thinking a lot about that six episodes as the open of a season and Mm -hmm. the fact that there were going to be 20 more episodes. Like it was such a breathless six episodes and this feels like a stop and pause for breath. And I'm into it for that reason. Like I... (laughs) Like, I kind of think that, like, maybe part of this is the fact that we're also, you know, like, as of this recording, uh, coming right to the end of a 
episode season of Star Trek Picard. Mm -hmm. And so much shit happens in every episode at this point in that show that it feels like insane to have built the kind of pace that you have at episode six of season six of Deep Space Nine and then be like, hey, let's do one that's just for fun. Yeah. You know? (laughs) But I liked it, I think, on balance. All right. Well, let's see if we've got any priority one messages that we might like in the can. That is a good idea. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. By the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Adam, here's a priority one message from Andrew and many, many multitudes of others, and it's to Ben and Adam. That's us. Hmm. It goes like this. Dear sirs, you are beautiful. Full stop. You're beautiful. That's nice. Yeah. Oh, wow. They asked for this P1 to be up against anything but resurrection, which I guess is uh, an episode title. I guess that's next week's episode, actually. So Wow. All right. <laughs> Narrowly got it in and under the wire. Good uh, job. If you'd like to get one in under the wire, head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. It's 100 bucks for a personal message, and it's 200 bucks for a commercial message. And uh, we'd really appreciate it. Helps us keep the lights on around here. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda! I did. Everybody is turning up at Dax's party. But I don't think anyone turns up quite as much as Rom. <laughs> Rom is flipping out when he sees this fire dance yeah. going on. And uh, Aren't Ferengi afraid of fire also? Isn't that what we know uh, from yeah. TNG? Yeah. Quark got his uh, his pants caught on fire that one time when he went camping with, right. with Cisco and for some reason Jake. <laughs> so, I don't know. Rom fucking loves it. Yeah. Rom's turned it into uh, a sexual interest. <laughs> From the I, look of it. I really do love a fully choreographed dance scene, and it's not just the fire dancer here. Like, the way the people dance together yeah. in this episode is a lot of fun. Super fun. Did you have a drunk Shimoda, Adam? I don't know if it's possible for me to give it to the ending of the episode. <laughs> but, like, everything about the last five seconds of the episode feels <laughs> feels like a Shimoda to me. Yeah. It is totally self-aware it is having a ton of fun i guess if i'm gonna give it like i'll split it between like if it's got to be characters i'd give it to uh o'brien and bashir yeah one of the amazing things about making the greatest generation is getting to see all of the cool creative stuff that the friends of desoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool creative project captain's eyes only. 
Head to squarespace.com scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm, uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen because these are very low-dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry-level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. There's no way we have a silly episode on deck for next time, Ben, but we need to find out what that episode will be and how we are going to experience the recap of it. For that, we go to gach.biz slash game and our game of buttholes, The Will of the Prophets. The episode in question is season six, episode eight, Resurrection. The alternate universe double of Kira's slain love requests asylum on Deep Space Nine. The, did you just say the double of Kira's slain love requests asylum? Is that going to be Vedic Burial? Yeah, like that's, I'm, I'm wondering which of her loves that could be. <laughs> I'm back and I'm boring, baby. <laughs> Maybe since he's from the mirror universe, he's the opposite of boring. He's extremely interesting. Whoa. It's the Burial we've always wanted. Yeah. Yeah, he's the Dosa Keys edition of Burial. How about that? Catsuit Burial. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm looking at our game of Buttholes, Will of the Prophets, where currently 
Our runabout is on square 29. In the deep distance, there is a measure of a man square, oh, uh, yeah. but nothing really to worry about before that. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. I'm going to roll the die. To measure the man, you start at the anus. Yeah, that's a graphic that we couldn't put. I mean, we have enough space buttholes on yeah. on the game board. We can't just... It would be put, confusing. We can't just put an anus on it. <laughs> I have rolled, and I have rolled a six, so it is a regular old episode. All right, a regular old episode for next week. Uh, well, well, I am looking... Very much forward to that. Yeah. So uh, that will be next week. In the meantime, uh, please, uh, if you're in a position to, head to MaximumFun.org slash join if you uh, would like to support the ongoing production of the show. Uh, Podcasts. Please make sure that they continue to survive. Yeah, especially, I mean, I think that inevitably a lot of the folks out there uh, are going to be getting hit pretty hard by this thing. And... uh, we are definitely thinking about y'all, and, uh, you know, I think it sort of remains to be seen what this means for us, but uh, but hopefully if, if you are still in an okay place, you're able to support us, uh, maybe make up for some of the fall-off of uh, folks who stop being able to, uh, that would be great, and uh, we would really appreciate it. Thinking a lot about our good friends at DeSoto right now. Among them, we've got uh, Adam Ragusia, who has created the interstitial music for our show and uh, done a good bit of kit bashing of the original music made by Dark Materia. Yeah, uh, got to thank our homeboy Bill Tilly who makes hilarious trading cards about every episode of the show. He posts them on Twitter using the hashtag GreatestGen on his account, BillTilly1973. Adam is over there at Cut for Time, and I'm on there at Benjamin AHR. There are so many groups on social media uh, dedicated to this show and its many aspects, and uh, they're mobilizing. Yeah. They're mobilizing and they're doing good things right now, and I think it would be a great idea if you were on places like Facebook or Twitter to link up with them and try to do some good at yeah. this very moment. Or Reddit. Um, they're, yeah, they're, if you're hungry for community, uh, it's out there waiting for you. And uh, they're, through no fault of our own, just really great groups of people yeah. that are uh, doing really great things. So uh, we appreciate all of you, and uh, we need each other in times like this. Sure do. And uh, I'm glad we've got you. Yeah. So with that being said, we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and an episode of The Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine that doesn't remember liking you as much as we do right now. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.